0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW for We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
0: 18 plus. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I'm with you every single Sunday. Right here answering your questions and talking about things that truly matter in life. And of course, the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your Theology question dealing with God, religion, spirituality, worldviews, of course, the Bible. Or if you're going through something in life, we call them life situations. And strangely enough, the human experience says that uh, when things go from good to bad, the assumption is they will no, never go back to good. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. But I'd love to talk to you if you're going through something. The number anywhere in the US of A is 800. 5201534 that's 805201534 a study says that it found that the wealthy particularly the wealthy that's motivated by greed you may not think there's a difference there is a difference but the wealthy motivated by greed are more likely to be unethical including lying and cheating things of that nature some of the findings like, and I quote, people driving expensive cars were more likely than other motorists to cut off drivers and pedestrians at four-way stop intersection. Those findings led to a series of experiments that revealed that people of, of higher socioeconomic status were also more likely to cheat to win a prize, take candy from children, and say that they would pocket extra change handed to them in error rather than give it back. And that's always one of those those ethical challenges that people will bring before you, right? If you are in a grocery store or some department store or something, and the person checking you out gives you too much change back, would you keep it? Or would you tell them, hey, I think you gave me too much change? They're saying that those that were wealthy, being motivated by greed, would not have given the money back or correct the error. More information revealed the conclusion that because of the abundance of financial resources, rich people live in a more insular world with less need for social bonds, for survival. So you get to a place in your life where you know that you need people in your life because you have need. Now that sounds incredibly selfish on one on one hand, but in another way you learn that life is not in a bubble. That you live in such a way that others are important to you and a necessity. But when you get to a a level, a socioeconomic level where you have less need, you kind of can pay people to do things for you. You have so much – you're relying and leaning so much on this money that you tend not to interact with people in the same way because you don't need to. Well, I don't even need to be nice. It's almost as if you're you're telling yourself you need to be nice and make friends because you don't have anything else to offer or what have you. But you get to a place where you're more self-contained and you don't care what people think and therefore you you kind of do away with niceties or other types of things. Uh, They would call social bonds that deal with your survival. If you think of it this way, a child at the beginning of their life, so precious and so needy, absolutely has to rely on that which is given to them by his or her parents, right? So when small... Children, uh, a child, a male, female, are often more compliant with the rules of the household than a child who is going through that process of turning to a young adult who feels he or she is self-sufficient, even though, you know, in reality, they certainly are not self-sufficient. But they get to that place and that child now sees themselves as a young adult, sees that they have more, probably more than they think they do. In reality, they're still growing and learning, but they see themselves as having more, and this happens a lot in the teens, and they start to rebel more. They think, I don't, I don't need my parents. I can do all this myself. Similarly, as you obtain wealth, and if that is your sole goal, if that's what you're the only thing you are completely and utterly sold on, obtaining all of this wealth once you start to obtain it, you'll start pushing away those you know other people in your life or you'll you won't see a need for them. So the study is pointing out that uh, people with wealth start to get rude, more rude and, and ignore others and don't interact the same way because they feel they don't need to. When you think you could buy what you need, you don't focus on the skills that it takes to obtain that in everyday life in a real, deep, and true way. The strange thing about this story is that this study itself is nothing new. Think about this for a moment. As a matter of fact, Scripture is filled with examples of people trading ethics, their own character, for money and power. This has been around forever. Scripture makes it clear if your goal is just to make money and your motivation is greed, you should not be trusted nor will you ever ever know the things of god it's not that in scripture i pick on people that are rich that's not the case if you know the stories about it's easier to get uh, a camel in an eye through an eye of a needle than it is to get a rich man into heaven is that to mock the rich absolutely not It's to say that there is something else going on in that process of gaining money, that if it is based solely and propelled by greed, then you will get lost in that pattern. You will get lost only in those things and not into the things that God has created that are of importance, the character building, the ethics, the morals that go with doing the right thing, not because there is something to be gained on the right thing like monetary gain but doing the right thing because the right thing is right to do, period. Scripture takes the time to point these things out, not to pummel those that have wealth, but to show you that the path to wealth often can be one that is barbed with uh, ethical concerns as to how you will treat others and how you even think about yourself, what you're willing to do, how low you'd be willing to stoop to make money, you'd be willing to lie or to cheat or to steal in order to have those funds. In your mind, it becomes worth it. If that is the path, you're in trouble. 1 Timothy six, nine points out, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. But it sets it out at the beginning to tell you, those who desire to be rich, if that's your only focus, if that's what you have in your mind as the ultimate goal, then you fall into temptation because everything around you is saying, hey, pick me, I'm the one that will get you to that place. I'm the one that will get you that money that you want. First Timothy goes on to admonish you that it's not that money itself corrupts, but it's the love of money that corrupts. Often this verse is misquoted over and over. I hear it misquoted first Timothy six ten for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So what does that mean? That means that if your focus is only about making that money, if all you want is to accumulate that wealth, there will be problems. Because that kind of love for money is just the the beginning point, the starting point for evil to creep into your life through temptation, uh, through uh, having that coveting mind, being envious of those that are around you, and you lose sight of the things of God. And it is through this craving, it says in 1 Timothy 6.10, that some, not all, Keep in mind, it's not saying all, and it's not saying money is the root. It's saying the love of money, and some have wandered away from the faith. Because these things will capture your mind and capture your eyes and capture your heart and take them away from the things of God. It is The Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here, answering your questions, and talking about the things that truly matter in life and the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question, life situation question, uh, whatever it might be. Anywhere in the U.S. of A, dial 800-520-1534. That's 800-520-1534. A study says that Wealthy people, uh, if you're motivated by greed, you are more likely or more prone to being unethical. It's, it's an interesting – right off the bat, it's interesting to think of it things that way. Well, you know, that somebody just based on how much money they have might treat others differently. And a lot of this was done through observation and experimentation, some of which was just looking at certain areas. So, uh, you know, and saying, oh, this is how people react to certain things, sort of, uh, if you will, just by sitting and observing. But also there was other experimentation that went along with that. But their conclusions were interesting about uh, people with an abundance of financial resources tend to be kind of separate from others. They don't feel the need to have those social bonds that you may have with somebody if you don't have that kind of money because – those bonds really are about building um, a community and because you believe there's a need for community and a need for one another. Well, if you're motivated just by greed and you're building that wealth up and you feel like you have such an abundance of it, what is anybody else going to bring you? That old, that old joke, what do you get somebody that has everything? Nothing. So in this sense, it's interesting to see those things. However, this is nothing new. Thousands of years ago, as Scripture was being written, God was reminding you of these things. First Timothy 6.9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, is supposed to turn you away from those things. You've heard many times about it's... Money is the root of all kinds of evil. We've told you that over and over, that that's not what Scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And if that is your craving, then you will get lost in that. Being wealthy doesn't automatically mean that you are greedy and therefore unethical. Many wealthy people use their money for good, and they give to others, and uh, don't just hoard it for themselves. This is a good thing. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. There's a difference. There's a difference. The one who is filled with greed serves only money, and consequently cannot also serve God. It is the Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I'm with you every single Sunday right here, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life and, of course, the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation. Anywhere in the U.S. of A, dial 800-520-1534. That's eight hundred five two zero one five three four of course, you can follow us on uh, Twitter during the week and during the show at Jesus show at Jesus show Lydia, welcome to the Jesus Christ show Hi,
2: Jesus. Um, Good thank morning. you for taking my call. Good morning
1: of course, my pleasure. how can I help you
2: okay so i I'm a military mom. I have two friends in the military. And their father is also a, a veteran. So my youngest son, who's 26, is schizophrenic. And he's been uh, medically retired from the military. Mm-hmm. Physically, you see him. He looks like a normal, handsome 26-year-old son. But in his head, in his world, in his brain, things happen that he's in medication, he's in treatment, He sees a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. But it's not enough for him. He struggles with life every day. So I don't know how to help him, how to make his life have some joy. He has good days and bad days. And I don't know what to do and say. I'm very strong. I I am one of the strongest persons that I know, especially a mom. Mom is my number one job. And that's not enough. I don't know how to make, how to put.
1: Join his life. Well, it's, it's a military mom, a military wife, uh, you are in the military yourself. I mean, that's the <laughs> reality. And yeah. uh, so there, it's redundant to say that you're strong because uh, you are serving this country through your selflessness as well. So that's absolutely part of your makeup for sure. And we thank you uh, for your service and, and what you do by sacrificing. On the home front, you're looking at something that is that America is wrestling with in a big way as a whole, uh, and that is uh, mental health issues, whether it be with uh, the homeless, whether it be with uh, young men and their frustration and uh, feeling disenfranchised. Um, and uh, school shootings, and all of these heavy things, and now you're dealing with it uh, with mental illness in your own family, and you're looking at a son that on the outside looks perfectly average, perfectly normal, handsome, strong, all those things, yet on the inside is battling uh, with uh, some e- chemical issues and issues in the brain. And that makes it difficult because a broken arm, you go, okay, we put it in Mm -hmm. a cast, we wait a little while, and it gets better. So in the process, uh, a lot of this starts to manifest uh, in the younger end of men. So in their late teens, early 20s, a lot of this uh, starts to manifest. So you said your son's 26? Yes. How long has he been diagnosed?
2: Um, a little over two years. He did four years in the military right after high school. Um, he's been uh, on medication treatment for a little over two years.
1: Okay. And so they're trying to uh, still get the balance, right, of the cocktail or whatever drugs they're giving him to get the the right outcome.
2: Um, so far, we've been lucky with the medication that they have him on, uh, a biweekly injection. Um, it seems to be working um, as best as it can. Um, we're scared to try anything else. We have tried a new medication in the past, and that was very, it was a nightmare. So doctors and I feel like we we reached a point where this is the best medication he's on right now. Um, so, yeah, the, his dad is also bipolar. His um father's bipolar, and I don't know that. He, he, he kind of blames the gene sometimes. He blames, he condemns his situation and dad. Why um, why are they dealing with such an ugly thing? And I guess uh, also uh, mental conditions run in the family on his dad's side, and he was unlucky to get that. I'm gene from the father. I I don't know. I don't know what else I can say and do.
1: How does it manifest it when he's having issues?
2: In various ways. Right now, he's um, he feels he's not worthy enough or good enough for any woman. He wants to have a family. He, he's not working. He cannot work. Um, when he's in crowds, even he, when he's in a, a store, he, he goes with me everywhere 24 hours a day we're together most of the time so he he looks at other people and says why can't I be like that then he punishes himself Mm. by by he's he works out 24 hours a day he has a gym here at home that's all he does his life is about working out and looking good on the outside but on the inside is it's he's depressed he's angry um he has no friends and he wishes he could have what his other what what his brother has. His brother is uh, 31 years old. He's in the Air Force. He's a lawyer in the Air Force. He's in charge, married with a beautiful little girl, and he wants that for himself. And I want that for him. But will he ever reach out? Hopefully. I just run out of words. Encouragement. Um, don't know. What else I can say or do to give him that positive feedback uh, about how what a nice, great young man he is? But he says, "Mom, that's you talking. You, you're going to tell me everything I want to hear because you're my mom," and it's not true. I, when I feel like he's not on the right path, or he's a little angry, or Just laying on the couch, I try to encourage him, telling him, you need to do this, let's do this, let's do that, walk, go for a walk. But then again, he's fearful that someone's going to hurt me, someone's going to hurt him. In what way? My son did a year in in Afghanistan, and I feel that that one year he was deployed in Afghanistan really hurt him. Even more so, he went through a lot of things that I'm just finding out within the last few months. I go to the intake sessions with a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. and and I found out things that he had to deal with while in Afghanistan. And I believe because of what he dealt with while being in Afghanistan, now it's out here in the civilian world, he, he feels like those people that were following him, I knew who he was in Afghanistan, are probably out here, and he's mm. afraid of my, for my safety. If he sees a car passing by, if he sees someone walking by our home, someone's parked a little too long in front of our house, he's thinking it's them, them he calls them them, so...
1: Yes. Has his doctors uh ever talked about whether there's a compounded issue uh, like you're describing now that maybe came from his uh tour there in a- Afghanistan that maybe he might be dealing with some p t s d in addition to yes
2: yeah. in addition to yes, yes they have, and I believe that
1: and is. is that being looked at separately or is that just kind of thrown into the pot with everything else
2: <laughs> everything's a package, everything's combined, everything's hmm. together. He, uh, he has nightmares, not about Afghanistan anymore, but he has nightmares uh, when he goes to sleep at nighttime he, uh, or even if he naps during the day. He's having these, um, I, I forgot what he calls them, but uh, he says he goes into episodes where he's asleep and the reaper comes in, um, he can't move. And it happens two, three times a week. It could be during the day. Um, he says the reaper comes in and I could see it and he's staring at me. He's afraid of death. He's afraid of cancer. Wow.
1: A lot of people are, uh, uh, does he fall? You say that he is on the couch sometimes, things like that. Does he often fall asleep with the TV on?
2: I have, um, no, he turns it off because he says he can't sleep. Um, his life is just basically going to the gym. If he goes to the gym. If not, he stays here at home, and he made a gym. Um, One of the rooms here, we turned it into a a gym. So his life consists of just working out day and night, watching what he eats. He's at a very good weight. He looks very strong. He's very strong, but he does not get up from that couch. After he's done with his workout, he hits the couch
1: again. Lydia, let's look at a couple of things really quickly because the time— will go by and yeah. i just wanted a, a full picture and i wanted you to be able to get some of this um out of your system as well um because uh-huh. you are dealing with a lot uh, a, a few things um this show is not a, a medical show i'm not a doctor i don't give any medical advice it's all about morality and strength and hope and those types of things as it okay. aligns with faith so mm-hmm. but i will point you in a couple directions. Um, It is my belief that there are a few things going on here that need to be looked at separately, not together. And I think you should find something through the VA or through um, veterans programs where he can connect with others uh, and explore the PTSD side separately um, because I think that experience is different. Two, because of the fact that he's working out a lot and has a lot of energy but is not... not, um, diffusing that energy through going out and doing things, I think that he's having an experience with something called sleep paralysis quite a lot. Yeah,
2: yeah, so, exactly. That's what he said. I'm sorry. It just,
1: yeah, yeah so the sleep paralysis, although it feels like a, you know, sort of a spiritual thing or something going on, in this case, uh, he sees the Reaper. The reality is he's in a state of lucidity. He's not get, having a deep deep enough sleep. So he's staying kind of uh, asleep and kind of awake at the same time, which means the body's not moving. He's aware the body's not moving, and he's he's, he's experiencing that, and then he's adding— the reaper and everything in because he's wondering as to what it is so the body's in a state of half asleep and half awake and it's a really weird thing and some people think they're being abducted by aliens or all kinds of different things but the reality is he's in a state of lucidity that's why i asked about the tv or things like that because it doesn't sound like he's getting true sleep Um, so i would look at those things separately as far as a mother your job is not to treat him like an illness he is not an illness he is, oh, exactly. He is your son that has mm-hmm. an illness. And, yeah. um, and to be honest with him, I love the fact that you say you call him out when he's doing something um, that I think that's helpful. I think you probably would benefit from a program where you can talk to other mothers or other parents that are, are dealing with these things, too, to learn tips and things to explore um, that could be powerful and helpful for you. But the reality is you just be a mom. That's all that you're called to be a mom and to love him and to guide him and sometimes to push him past Mm -hmm. limits or to make him explore things that he doesn't feel comfortable with. That could be by um, slowly bringing things to him or whether it's people or connecting him with things. I think the first thing would be a group where he can talk through some of these things with the PTSD and that will help socialize him a little bit in a place where he doesn't feel like the odd man out. Start there. But whatever you do, don't treat him like an illness. Treat him like your son who happens to have an illness, Uh, just like a a car or anything else that is still running and great and does everything but has a dent. You don't treat the car like it's, you know, that it's worthless. It's not. And I love the fact that you're still treating him in such uh, a great and honest way uh, because to baby him isn't going to help him. He just won't trust you. It is The Jesus Christ Show. I am your holy host. Happy to be with you this Sunday as I am with you every single Sunday right here, answering your questions and talking about the things that truly matter in life, and of course the afterlife. I encourage you to be bold and brave and go to the phone with your theology question or life situation question anywhere in the U.S. of A. Dial eight hundred five two zero one five three four. That's eight hundred five two zero one five three four. You can also follow us on Twitter during the week and during the show at Jesus Show at Jesus Show. Dan, welcome to the Jesus Christ Show.
2: Yeah, hey, I wanted you to put your best Cecil and Gilbert or whatever the guy's name. Is. A little um, bit of
1: movie critiquing. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I was wondering um about that uh, movie called The Bible. Okay. And I had one other question. Um if I I know you know Neil very well and I was wondering if he's ever seen a real miracle, like a club hand healed or somebody with muscular few healed. And if not, why do we not see miracles like that anymore?
1: Oh, excellent questions all around. Okay. Rather than going into a particular movie, cuz there there are more than one movie uh movies out there that have depicted the Bible in one way or another, and I think it's better to get a general um overview than it is to specifically look at one particular movie. No movie is going to be completely accurate. Uh they're they're going to, you know, they they have to um, you know, they they have to do things to make it Palatable for one, and for two, the Bible is not a. If you made the entire Bible into a movie, it would be X-rated. I mean, you really couldn't put the entire Bible on the screen. There's bestiality in it. Um, there's uh, rape in it. There's ugliness in it, uh, and all kinds of stuff that wouldn't play in in violence beyond violence that wouldn't play. I'm always humored when Christians say, oh, I won't go see that movie because it has sex and violence. And I go, well, what do you think scripture has? I mean, you go through some of it it, it. it can be very intense in the descriptions. Now, keep in mind that the Bible is describing them taking place. It's not prescribing that they should take place. And uh, that's a, a major difference. But uh, so the the thing to do when you see a movie about scripture of any kind, at any point, whether it's partial, like the New Testament, or it's the it in its entirety, any of those things, is to look at it in uh, in the broad sense that it's there for entertainment as uh, as well. It, and so, um, if something triggers an interest, look it up in scripture. Look it up. Don't use it as gospel. Don't use a movie as gospel. There are some wonderful movies in, out there, but even Mel Gibson's movie, uh, who you know, The Passion, who, uh, uh, that this is somebody who's a believer and struggle had struggles in his own life, but really, really did, focused on wanting to get the attitude and the energy of uh, the the movie correctly. Had stuff in there that wasn't from Scripture at all and had no tie into Scripture whatsoever. As far as your other question, hang out, and uh, we'll answer it when we come back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A
0: laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.